This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle, back once again. Going to be joined in a few moments here by my co-host, Brian Solomon, on what uh, promises to be a pretty busy week for pro wrestling with SummerSlam happening uh, this Sunday. Brian and I will preview uh, the card, a card that I think we are both a little bit underwhelmed by, but certainly has uh, some bright points and probably the biggest anticipation is going to be what it's going to look like with the uh, revelation of Thunderdome, uh, whatever that is, uh, WWE moving its production to the Amway Center in Orlando and uh, apparently pulling out some new tricks. We talk about those and uh, generally uh, go over the card and give our thoughts on what is supposed to be probably the second biggest WB show of the year, maybe third, if you want to put Royal Rumble there in the number two spot. Uh, how does it hold up uh, this year? Uh, Brian and I will give our thoughts on that in just a moment. And then later, it's the latest edition of the virtual PWI Roundtable, hosted by Pro Wrestling Illustrated Editor-in-Chief Kevin McElvaney. He was joined by a panel of uh, wrestlers and wrestling experts to discuss the topic of intergender uh, wrestling. Uh, I was not part of this roundtable, but certainly enjoyed uh, listening to it. And let's see, uh, the people on that roundtable include uh, Impact Wrestling and WWE Wrestling uh, female legend Gail Kim, Ethan Page of Impact, Tasha Steeles, Heather Monroe, Trish Adora, and uh, Jamie Senegal. Uh, again, discussing the sometimes controversial, but I think really evolving uh, topic of intergender wrestling, that is men wrestling uh, women, uh, once thought to be very taboo, uh, a lot of changing thoughts on that um, these days, and this panel uh, breaks it down. A lot of of voices to keep track of, Um, so if you get a little lost, um, I would uh, urge you to watch the video of it over on uh, YouTube. We've got our own uh, YouTube channel these days, and uh, you can check it all out there. Uh, but uh, give it a listen here uh, as well, uh, right after our conversation, mine and Brian's, that is, uh, talking about SummerSlam. Uh, right now, let me tell you about the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Uh, I like to say that, you know, we're getting into our busy season, and man, is that true. Uh, a couple of, of uh, milestones just in, I think, the last uh, few days. Uh, I believe we have sent out the PWI 500 out to the presses. So uh, that is ready to go and uh, coming your way, probably our biggest uh, issue of the year. And uh, just after we did that, uh, we held the meeting looking at the 2020 Women's 100. Uh, So starting work uh, on that. So again, absolutely our busy season. And you don't want to miss any of these issues before long. I'm sure we're going to be put together the the year-end awards issue. Uh, So what you want to do is go to pwi-online.com and subscribe. Don't miss an issue, including the current issue featuring uh, Charlotte Flair on the cover, my hot seat interview with her, uh, the 2020 PWI poll with 50 questions posed to 
our subscribers, uh, looking at a range of subject matter, including some, I think, pretty uh, interesting current events with uh, the COVID crisis uh, and everything else, and a lot more in this issue. You don't want to miss any of them. Go to pwi-online.com. Whether you want to pick up just the one issue, don't have to worry about finding it at a newsstand, which I know these days can be uh, particularly challenging if you're leaving your house at all. Uh, so why not do the safe thing and have it brought to you in your mailbox uh, once the uh, the post office gets back up and running? <laughs> I kid. Uh, but uh, absolutely the way to go is to uh, subscribe and um, you want it even faster, uh, get the digital edition, which comes out weeks ahead of the print edition and is customized for your electronic device. Uh, either way you go, uh, subscribing will save you a lot over the over the cover price. Uh, and again, pwi-online.com is the place to go. Uh, you can send us an email here at pwipodcast at outlook.com. Uh, we very much value your feedback uh, and we value your, your positive uh, reviews uh, to the podcast. So um, please subscribe and give us a five-star review. We certainly appreciate it and are working hard for it. Uh, over here. Uh, any other PWI questions, topics you've got, uh, send them to PWI at kappapublishing.com. I mentioned our uh, YouTube. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at official PWI. You can find us on Facebook. You could buy the Pro Wrestling Illustrated t-shirt over at prowrestlingtees.com. Uh, and we've got uh, a few other t-shirts that we've added to our collection now uh, from some of our defunct titles, uh, The Wrestler, Inside Wrestling, uh, whatever you choose, it is the perfect gift for the wrestling fan in your life, uh, including yourself. Okay, right now joined by my co-host, uh, PWI contributing writer, Brian Solomon. How are you? I'm doing okay, Al. How are you? Good. Uh, I know you got somewhere to be, so we're not going to waste too much uh, time here. We are talking SummerSlam. It's coming up uh, this Sunday. Traditionally, the number two, maybe number three event of the year for WWE uh, although uh, I've got to say, and again, not not to try to be too negative, but I can't remember as underwhelming a SummerSlam card as uh, we have here. And that's not necessarily um, an, an indictment on WWE's creative. I think it is in part, but I think it's also um, a testament to something that we've talked about. And, and that's the fact that they just don't have stars right now. And SummerSlam is typically where, where you'd see um, the, the, the Brock Lesnar uh, featured attraction or, or, you know, we got Goldberg last year or maybe a, a, a big Roman Reigns uh, main event or even a returning John Cena or, or a, a big Becky Lynch match. And we, we don't have any of those people um, this year. So uh, what are your thoughts overall on what they have presented to us as um, the lineup for what, uh, again, is, is supposed to be maybe their second or third biggest show of the year. Yeah, it's a weak card. There's no denying that it's a weak card. I mean, you know, they have right now, it just feels like the roster is basically made up of mid carders. Like it's just a bunch of mid and some of them are upper mid carders. Some of them are lower mid carders, but you don't get that sense of, Big star power, even though you have people who are proven, you know, like Seth Rollins or or Drew McIntyre, who they've been working really hard to push. It just doesn't have that same. And I think a big part of it is the creative around it. It doesn't have that same kick that we come to expect from a show like this. And it definitely does, does them no favors when they do things like, you know, SummerSlam 
kind of like rewind and they show you things like I know on the past raw, they had a flashback to Davy boy Smith versus Bret Hart at Wembley stadium in front of 80,000 people. And that really doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't, it, the comparison is very stark. So I don't think you want to be reminding people of things like that when you can't deliver anything even close to that this year. Yeah. I mean, looking at, the lineup here, um, putting aside star power, I'm I'm thinking about potential for good matches, and there is some. I mean, you you've got, you know, certainly there's no shortage of of talent and good workers. Um, Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton, both capable of putting something special together. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about, Randy has a tendency uh, sometimes to to disappoint on the big stage. So um, we'll see for that. But, you know, I I think um, there's a lot of excitement or or at least more excitement than for the men's matches for uh, the women, Bailey and Asuka. um, You know, both those women have have brought their game, Sasha and Asuka. uh, And what else we have here? So, again, no no shortage of talent. Again, what, what, what it feels like there is... Uh, shortage of is uh, star power. Uh, but let's talk about some of the, the key matches, the main event, Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton for the WWE championship. That probably is about as big a match as they could put together right now. Um, they do de- deserve some credit for rebuilding Randy Orton, which, uh, you know, he, he, a pretty stale act for a long time and not a guy that you, you would think of in 2020 could have this much steam behind him. Uh, but but he he has done a good job, and WWE has done an I'd say adequate, better than adequate job in recapturing uh, kind of the the best of Randy Orton. He's always been the best when he's been sort of that empty eyed, deranged lunatic, and um, he's back in that role. Uh, so it does feel like there's a, a a fair amount of anticipation for this match. What do you think? Yeah, and I have to say, it really needs to be pointed out that I thought. The segment with Flair uh, that they did with him was terrific. I mean, Flair, you know, I I mean, I really felt real emotion watching that. And you could you could feel it even with Flair himself that he's drawing from something really real inside of him. You know, it's not like your typical Ric Flair promo. I thought it was really effective. My only gripe and I I don't know, you know, what, what else they could do is that the way WWE, you know, book segments like that it's so predictable you could see it coming a mile away that he was going to turn on flair you were almost kind of wishing that he wasn't gonna but i think that it really did its job of getting you know orton over in in his old kind of like legend killer type of persona yeah yeah and and we've said this a million times but here's another example where of when having fans could have made a difference because that an, an angle uh like that you know, you could imagine sort of the collective gasp of whatever thousands of people uh, in an arena. And then um, also I think that reaction would have helped uh, when Drew ran out to to save him. And you know, it would just add it to the emotion. It doesn't work as well um, in, in basically an empty building. Uh, but a, a fine angle, some speculation whether it actually was a turn, whether maybe Ric Flair and, and Randy are in cahoots because we never actually saw the kick make contact. Um, so so that'll play out uh, again. I hope I hope we get the Randy Orton that we got in um, the, the greatest match of all time with with Edge and not the Randy Orton that we've gotten in so many big spots, uh, whether it was you know at WrestleMania this year or, or several past WrestleManias. 
uh, where he seemed sort of, in, you know, my way is the right way and, and insistent on that uh, kind of Triple H inspired plotting uh, uh, method to a match. And it often makes for a boring match. And I think uh, Drew McIntyre in particular can't afford to have a, a, a boring match uh, in this spot. So uh, hopefully, again, both, both guys bring their A game. Um, the I, I'm, I'm going to skip the, the universal title match for now because it, it doesn't feel like the, the number two match. I'd say what feels like number two match is uh, Dominic Mysterio and Seth Rollins. Um, for, for a lot of the, the, the stupidness of you know, eyes getting plucked out and, and all that. Uh, I do think um, a, a lot of this has been pretty good. Uh, I think in particular, Dominic's been really good. I mean, a guy who's never had um, uh, this spotlight, you know, debuting uh, in, in such a, a major storyline with such focus and having his first WWE match. I don't know if it's first actual pro wrestling match. I mean, I'm sure he's had all kinds of workouts, uh, but at SummerSlam, against um, a, a guy the caliber of Seth Rollins. And I think he's um, he's absolutely sort of uh, looked like he belongs. And uh, his dad is such a great talker. Everything is so kind of earnest and, and real, really kind of a, a throwback to, to the great baby faces of old. And he seems to have picked up a lot of that. So um, I'm, I'm probably, you know, looking forward to this as, as much as anything, uh, even if maybe from a curiosity factor to see how good Dominic uh, might be. How about you? Yeah, and and uh, boy, uh, Rollins did not go easy on him. We'll just, oh, we'll just oh put it goodness. that way. I remember, you know, I remember seeing Dominic backstage as a small child, a little child, like like little, and that was hard to watch. That was very hard. It, it it's it's a weird thing, you know, uh, imagining even what Ray would feel like. I mean, obviously, you know, it's coming and all that, but. God, that is it's it's rough to watch. But but it got me excited for the match. It got me into also wondering what he's going to really be like in the ring because we don't really know. I mean, is he you know, does he work like his uh, style like his dad? Is, is it going to be totally different? So there's an intrigue factor there for sure. Yeah, he's got some size and, and a little bit. You've seen him get physical. He, he doesn't look awkward or clumsy or anything like that. Uh, so yeah, again, yeah, like I said, some, some real intrigue, it, it almost makes it, you know, that much more unfortunate that they went the route they did with the stupidity of having a, an eyeball plucked out. Because if, if you kind of like isolated this whole storyline, um, from that, even, even the uh, initial, uh, angle of, of Ray's eye being shoved into the, the step, I was okay with that. You know, it's just kind of old school hurt your opponent. But, but when you go to the length of like, we're going to remove your eye in a match that uh, just muddied the whole thing so bad. Outside of that, I think they've actually told a decent storyline here. Um, the So let's talk about the universal title match. Uh, I've got no interest. Uh, to me, anything with Bray Wyatt is just instant change the channel kind of energy uh, for me. Uh, again, not necessarily – well, I was going to say not a reflection on the talent, but it kind of is because this is this is Bray Wyatt, a creative guy. Uh, but I think sometimes the, the, the direction he takes with his creativity, uh, it just doesn't work for me. I know it does for a lot of people, uh, but I, I am not interested in seeing not, not only am I not interested in it, I am dreading the return of The Fiend. I hate it. And um, I think I think there are guys who have been able to get, you know, good matches or at least watchable matches. Daniel Bryan comes to mind, AJ. 
um, out of out of this character, uh, the fiend. But Braun Strowman is is not that guy. So I am completely expecting just an absolute disaster. Uh, with I don't, I don't know if cinematic, but I think they're going to rely heavily on smoke and mirrors and bells and whistles and everything else, and you know the ghost of Alexa Bliss or or whatever. <laughs> but this is all to say I think this is going to absolutely stink. Well, Braun Strowman is the classic example of the importance of creative and and the importance of creative in accentuating people's strengths and hiding their weaknesses, you know, because it was no secret when Strowman came in initially, you know, it was kind of controversial because he didn't really go through NXT, he didn't go through developmental, he debuted right onto the main roster and everybody was like, well, he's just a big giant guy and that's why he's getting this big push. And there was some truth to that. But the bottom line is there was a brief moment where they got him over to the point where yeah. he was, I don't want to say Stone Cold Steve Austin, but there was like a kind of a similar vibe going on where you felt like, wow, this could really be something. But it, it was because of the creative. It wasn't because he's this brilliant talent, you know, and now that the creative isn't there, he's kind of exposed and just blowing in the breeze. It's kind of like, you know, if Goldberg had really bad creative, he wouldn't have been what he was in WCW, but they handled him the right way. You know, that's, and that's what's not being done here. And that's why he is like changed the channel TV right now. It's, it's unfortunate, but that's what he's stuck with. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember when he challenged Brock Lesnar for the title a couple of years ago, he had a lot of momentum and maybe lost some after that match because it wasn't much of a match. Uh, but yeah, there was a while there were, where he was way, way over. Um, yeah. Was. I remember being in Ask Coliseum. It's when he, he was still a heel and he was feuding with um, Roman Reigns, and it was terrific. I mean, like he like beat the hell out of him, then they put him in the on the gurney, then he pushed the gurney off of like that landing, and then he, legendary he the ambulance, and he pulled him out of the ambulance. I mean, it was terrific. My uh, wife still talks about that to this day. I just yeah, it's a great, great angle, and, yeah. and a huge guy, and some raw charisma there, uh, but but a guy who I mean, I sort of think to like. Um, Mike Awesome, you know, like a guy who you you you've got to uh, accentuate the the strengths and and hide the the weaknesses, and you're not going to do that in in a match against a cartoon character um, like like oh. the Fiend. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm not looking forward to this uh, at all. I I, I I'm just reminded. In, I, I'm just reminded in either of these two world title matches, are you expecting a um, a title change? I could see one with with Orton. You know, I, I was going to go the opposite way. I, I really hope that they don't do that, put, putting it on Orton, because I really feel like McIntyre needs it right now just to make mm -hmm. sure that this push really sticks and really takes off the way that it, it should. I think the uh, opposite way, I really think, I mean, look, The Fiend is <laughs> it's not my dream, inner, uh, you know, a universal champion, but I feel like it's time to do something different with that title. Uh, the, the, the Braun Strowman reign started in this kind of abysmal way and it's just been abysmal all the way through and i think it's time to kind of put it out of its misery yeah yeah i could see that i mean braun was never the plan right i mean this was supposed to be roman's spot um and and he stepped in and going back even further uh bray was supposed to have it for for a while until you know goldberg got up and running and, and they saw that they had something going there uh, so maybe, yeah, they look to kind of correct course back to where they were almost a year ago and maybe. put the title back on, on uh, Bray Wyatt. Um, the the women's matches, uh, Bailey versus Asuka and Sasha Banks versus Asuka, separate matches, both for the titles. Uh, I know that there's some 
some resentment, some unhappiness out there that other women weren't given a chance for at least one of these matches. Uh, but I think they've got a storyline uh, going here with the three of these, so so I don't mind it, and I certainly don't mind, uh, you know, Asuka getting uh, this much attention, this much of a push, uh, and yeah, I, I, in in uh, a company that creatively has has been as bad as they ever have been, I think um, the the women have kind of shined, and, and in particular Bailey and Sasha, they're probably as uh, uh, compelling two characters uh, and maybe Asuka throw it in, in the mix as well as they have showcased uh, in months. So uh, these matches both feel legitimately like, like some of the bigger matches on this whole show. Yeah. There's some nuance there with, with Bailey and Sasha, which I think has been interesting, you know, where you can have characters that are like, you're wondering where their allegiances lie. Cause it seems like one is a heel and one is a face. Although obviously it's, it's developed since then, but this idea of like, how can they be friends if their philosophies are so different? Like that kind of stuff is always interesting. And, and kind of like what you said, I'm glad and relieved to see Asuka in the mix like this again, I felt, and this is nothing against Kyrie Zane because I thought that the tag team that they put them in was a disservice to the both of them. Honestly, I thought they both deserved better than that. But now, you know, at least they they have a chance of maybe kind of rebuilding now with Asuka, which I think is a good thing. So I don't really have a problem with that. I mean, you know, it, it, it pains me a little bit to see, for example, like how demoted Shayna Baszler has become. But mm-hmm. it's hard when you have a, a stacked roster like that, like what the women's roster is right now. It's, it's probably got more potential than the men's roster. It's tough to keep everything really balanced. So I don't have a major problem with that. Yeah, and and as much as uh, Shayna, uh, I think was kind of taken away from the the spotlight after WrestleMania in the last few weeks, they're they're starting to heat her up again. So I'm not too worried about her. I mean, it looks like they they do have plans for her. And, and you're right. I mean, um, how can anybody complain about Oscar getting this much attention after what she had to go through over the last couple of years, getting almost no attention? You know, um, she was just and also ran for for so long. So by all means, yeah, put, put as much of the spotlight uh, on her as, as they can right now. Um, the, the rest of the card, not a whole lot there. I'll, I'll just touch on them. You've got the um, the Raw Tag Team title with the Street Profits versus uh, Andrade and Angel Garza. I think Andrade and Angel Garza are um, two of, of uh, my favorite acts to watch in WWE uh, right now. And sort of fame praise because I think overall the, the roster is so kind of underwhelming um, right now. Uh, again, not from a talent standpoint, but just from nobody being a star. And both those guys show some real uh, star power. Uh, we've seen it in Andrade for, for a long time. And I think uh, Angel Garza in particular has, has really shined. And I think uh, he's got that character down. I, I, I love him whenever he's on screen with uh, with Charlie. Uh, I get a kick out of it. He, he's really good. Uh, I'm not crazy about the match, though kind of been underwhelmed by uh, Street Profits for a while. I'm not crazy about this poisoning angle. Um, what else we got? We've got uh, Sonya Deville and uh, Mandy Rose, hair versus hair. That's interesting. Again, there, there, there's a real storyline there, one that they've sort of cultivated over the last few months. Um, so some some real interest there. And Apollo Crews versus M- MVP. You know, an, an unusual choice for a U.S. title challenger for Apollo Crews, who's kind of on the rise, and you think of, um, you know, all, all the different challengers he could have, and, and they pluck MVP, who's essentially been 
a manager, a really good one. You know, I think he's doing a fine job, uh, but but just sort of odd. But I I, I kind of like the um, the hurt business faction. So uh, yeah. Uh, so so anything jump out of the uh, in, in the rest of the card? Um, something to watch. Well, one thing I wanted to say, I mean, it's it's not directly tied to a match per se, but I'm also kind of trying to figure out where the whole retribution angle is going to fit into this. You know, I mean, it it seems like uh, it could sort of take over the whole show potentially. I mean, who knows? Because the whole idea of it is the unpredictability of it. So they're not going to really advertise what they're going to do, you know? Yeah. And, and um, I believe there's a pay-per-view like a week later or something like that. They, they announced payback. Um, uh, is coming back uh, this year, and it it it's not more than two weeks, and it might literally be the the, the next week. I have to look up the date. Uh, so that would suggest, and and you know, using that name out of all the the old WWE pay per views to um, to bring back, that it's payback would suggest that something is going to happen here that is going to demand you know retribution. Uh, yeah. So so yeah, I'd expect a a major angle. Uh, I would think at the end of the night, not necessarily, but but something that, that is going to be sort of this cliffhanger for for people to uh, come back in a week or two. Um, the other thing worth mentioning uh, about the show and about the overall WWE product is uh, the introduction of the Thunderdome, which I think we're getting a glimpse of for the first time on on SmackDown. I've got mixed thoughts on that. I mean, I wonder why they didn't wait for for SummerSlam to unveil it and, and give SummerSlam that special. Um, that look a different feel beyond, you know, we talked about different ideas for what they could do for, for SummerSlam. And, and it sounds like they tinkered with it. There was, you know, reports of them trying to do it on a beach or a cruise ship or maybe Atlantic city. Um, ultimately they, they ended up uh, in, in kind of a, a long-term uh, uh, arrangement with the Amway center in Orlando, a major arena. Uh, when I first heard that, I thought, what, what's the point of this? If you're going to be playing in an empty arena, uh, but it does seem like they have something of a plan and, and, and part of it, uh, it seems to have to do with lots of uh, LED screens all over the arena, some kind of component where fans can um, uh, interact live from home, maybe inspired from what they're doing in, in the NBA with, with the bubble. So we may actually see fans in the stands virtually, um, and, and I guess we'll, we'll get a better taste of what this is on, on Friday. Uh, I'm intrigued. I think it's cool that, that they're – trying stuff, you know, uh, WWE, just from a production standpoint, has been on the forefront for, for so long. I think it's something that they don't get enough credit for, but um, just go to WrestleMania. It, it, the, the production is more impressive than even the Super Bowl. And I feel like um, throughout the pandemic, they've tried, they've put their best foot forward, but, but it, you know, I've been waiting for what is this, what, what is the big idea that you could pull off here? And it sounds like this is it. So are, are, are you intrigued as well? Well, it's, it, you know, the WWE TV production, I mean, that's one area where nobody could ever fault that company for. I mean, they are top notch and they've always been top notch. I mean, there have been plenty of times where the TV creative has been, this is one of those times, nowhere near worthy of the, of the production values that it gets. Um, mm -hmm. They have some great, amazing people working there, a team that, literally never gets credit because the show has no credits, but they deserve a lot of credit. 
I do wish that they could have come up with maybe a more original name for this thing. Cause I mean, I, yeah. I guess maybe if you're under 30, you won't, but I mean, for me, the first thing I think of is like Tina Turner and Mel Gibson, you know? Right. Right. I even wondered if there was like a licensing thing there. I mean, do they, does anybody own Thunderdome? Uh, yeah. I, I, I guess not if they're doing it. I mean, it's a, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's, it's strange. I mean, I guess the movie now is like over 30 years old, but still, uh, yeah. it seems like a, a, a der- derivative name, but I mean, that's a minor quibble. I, I, I'm, I am interested to see how it's going to, what it's going to look like, you know, and, and how, uh, much of the show it's gonna you know because if it takes off and it does really well especially during a time like this it could become more a part of the show than even they originally had planned and i think there's some some genuine pressure there on wwe because of what you said because they have been in the forefront of tv production for so long and and um you look at like what the aba has been doing and i think it, it's a, a more of a kind of fresh take and a fresh idea than what you've seen on WWE. Others, not so much. I think what Major League Baseball has been doing has been pretty lame with, with the cardboard cutouts and the really kind of crappy video game crowds um, on, on these Fox games. And then others are somewhere in between where, you know, UFC, it, it's pretty bare bones too. And uh, I haven't watched that closely what NHL is doing. It doesn't look like it's a whole lot. They've got some ads and stuff, but um, you would think Vince McMahon and, and Kevin Dunn, it'd be a point of pride for them to have a more major league looking product in the pandemic than all of them. And they haven't. And even some weeks, they haven't even looked as good as um, AEW has. Um, they, AEW having the advantage of having a, a, a real arena and, and outdoors, and it's given some some ambiance that WWE hasn't been able to do. So um, overall, what do you think this, this does for WWE's uh, a TV product? Uh, for the next several months, because this is where it's going to be apparently at least through October. I think that there's a potential that it could bring some viewers back because I think that's been their biggest their biggest problem right now is they're just bleeding viewers. I know it's a different media landscape now than it was years ago, but the numbers they're doing now would have been unthinkable by anybody in the industry once upon a time and in a bad way, obviously. So, I mean, there's got to be a curiosity factor. I think you will get people to come back. But the key is, like it's always been with whenever they try something, is if it's all hype and it doesn't deliver, then it doesn't mean a thing. They're going to tune in. They're going to have a big bump for a week. And then everybody's going to be like, oh, this sucks. And nobody's going to come back. So you can't just front load everything. You have to really have a long-term game plan of what you're going to do with this thing. And long-term planning doesn't seem to be their strong suit right now. So so that's really something. If they want to try something different, that's got to be the different thing. Actually have a long-range plan, and then it might work. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's fine that they do something to address the, the look of the show, which which has you know suffered because of the pandemic and being in the performance center. But, but I hope they realize that's not all that's wrong with the show. It's fine to do this. Uh, but but I hope on, on the back end, you're, you're also equally aware uh, of the urgency to do something on your creative end, um, to to try new stars, to, you know, give a shot in the arm of, of, of creative, that kind of thing. Um, so we'll see. But I am I am uh, uh, somewhat excited again, not maybe not as much as SummerSlam other years, but I'm certainly uh, interested in seeing what this Thunderdome is all about. Uh, Brian, I know you got to go. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes here. And uh, we'll be back uh, hopefully in uh, a week or so. And we could uh, give our thoughts on SummerSlam. All right. Sounds great. 
All right, got to thank Brian, as always, for the conversation, and I'm looking forward to discussing uh, SummerSlam with him once again after we check out the show this Sunday. Uh, right now, let me throw over to uh, the latest PWI virtual roundtable, and again, star-studded panel here. We've got Gail Kim, Ethan Page, Tasha Steeles, Heather Monroe, Trish Adora, and Jamie Senegal, all joining PWI Editor-in-Chief. Kevin McElvaney, and they are talking about intergender wrestling. All right. Thanks, everybody, for doing this. Um, pretty short notice, and I think this is an important thing to talk about, something that seems to come up a lot, um, but it's maybe not talked about in the detail that it actually deserves. Um, I think what kind of spurred this on was something that was Lance Storm had posted a tweet and we, we didn't invite him to uh, appear, but he's going to talk about it on his, his own podcast and that's fine. Um, but he mentioned that wrestlers had come to him, women wrestlers specifically saying like they felt pressured to do intergender matches. Um, it was something they didn't necessarily want to do, but they felt like they had to. So anybody on here at any point in your career, have you felt, raise your hand, felt pressured to be in an intergender match that you didn't want to be in. In an intergender or just in any match in particular? I guess that's where the, that's where the gray area was because people were talking about people speaking out about being pressured about other stuff as well. So um, I've been pressured, but not for an intergender. So do you think that there's, uh, a difference here. I mean, not having. So I I believe what Lance said, but you know, these were I guess anonymous people confiding in him, right? Um, but without having anybody's words to go on, and maybe maybe some people have have come out and and said things since. But would you feel differently, Gail, if it was like, if you were asked, and I know you're not competing right now, but if you were asked to compete in an intergender match, how would you feel about it? I mean, me personally, I'm okay with it. Um, on the, you know, this is where I kind of wanted everyone else to speak because I know a lot of people are pro intergender and I'm not against it. I'm just not for it full time on a regular basis. Um, but going back to Lance's point of view, first off, Lance is one of the biggest supporters of women's wrestling. Truly, mm-hmm. I can count top three in my 20 years of being in the business. Okay. So people saying that he's not wanting them to succeed or whatever it may be, absolutely not true. He's concerned about them and he's kind of protecting them more than anything. Um, he's talking about, also, I saw some people defending the fact that they're like, well, I would say I wouldn't feel comfortable with doing it and I don't have a problem, you know, I'm putting it on other people. Unfortunately, our business, and maybe it's changed for the better now, but it's not completely changed. Our business still is, we're, it, we're in positions where you can't say no, I'm sorry, because then the next person will come along and you're worried about losing your spot. And, you know, unfortunately, we're not at a time where women are half the card. They're not. Maybe once in a while you might see it, but um, that's just not realistic. And 
people are, you know, like we said, we were talking about age um, minimums of getting into wrestling. I know when I started at 23 and even making it to WWE at 25, for years I felt pressured. Like I could never say no to anything. I mean, I just made the best of the situation when I was so uncomfortable all the time. Um, so I don't think that that's a realistic point of view from these girls saying, I'll just say no. And, you know, uh, that they would speak up and I, I just think that that's just not realistic in every, in the majority of situations. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like the thing that got a little out of hand was his wording of it was, was not good. I don't think because it was stop it all full stop. Yeah. Don't do it at all. And there's so many people that are okay with it, but I do think we need to change the culture of wrestling, which is what we've been talking about with speaking out to change the culture of wrestling to make it more comfortable for people to say no, or if they're not comfortable saying it themselves to be like, Hey, uh, you can come to me and I'll talk to this person for you. And I think that that's, that's really what we, we need to change or, you know, like using speaking out was also, I think wrong on his part as, as part of it. Cause a lot of speaking out wasn't about that. It was about like sexual abuse and like, it, it did kind of end up veering towards like training and that kind of stuff. But it was mostly about like people speaking out about their partners that were also wrestlers being like abusing them. And like, obviously like there was a huge intergender wrestler that did get put into that, but it wasn't about intergender wrestling. I think where he was blurring those lines was abuse of power. Cause yeah. it's, it's the same vein in that regard. Um, the abuse of power subject and, I think it kind of crossed over a little bit, but some people were talking specifically about speaking out and some people were talking specifically about intergender wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. I think too, like, I don't know if this is like male ignorance, but like I have a daughter, I have a wife. I don't think either of them want to be told what to do. (laughs) So like, (laughs) I think just like women in general kind of took it the wrong, like not the wrong way. They took it as a negative because it was almost like, he knew better than them. So it was like, he went out of his way to tell them like, don't worry. It's okay. I'll take care of this. Like, you don't have to worry about it. Uh, I got your back where it's like, I think we're trying to sway it so that that's not the way it is anymore. We don't need knights in shining armor. Like I will let Kylie Ray stalling suplex me for 60 seconds because she physically can. So why not show the world kind of thing? And like, I don't know. That's where like, I felt, like an urge to respond because I have a lot of respect for Lance, but I also know the fear in pro wrestling when someone with that kind of weight says something. Um, it's an auto, it's exactly what you're saying. Like people don't want to say no to opportunity. They also don't want to speak their truth against someone that has power in wrestling or influence in wrestling. So not to be like the voice of the voices all the time. I know, I know I'm probably annoying on social media, but I just, when I see things like that, I just know, there's opportunity to like actually have discussion instead of kind of be like, this is my way. And I know you've been listening to my opinion for many, many years. So you should probably just listen to this. I just feel like this is more of a discussion topic instead of like, let's abolish all intergender wrestling. But was he saying, well, he said, he said every intergender match has to stop. And to, (laughs) and to, and to to me, he said has to stop. That's how he said it. Like it was a definite, I'm okay, hold on. Okay, I'm not trying to get anyone in trouble, especially myself, because I know because I don't remember the tweet that way. Well. Oh, hold on. Before, okay, so before we ignorantly speak, then can we just yeah. have the tweet read? 
Yeah. Maybe that's a good idea. Yeah, that's a really good idea. You yeah. got this, PWI? <laughs> Are we pulling it up? Yeah, he's pulling it up. We got, okay. it. We got a nod. Well, in the meantime, uh, maybe other people can speak up. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, because that's what I said. I agree with that, because that's what I said to you, Gail, uh, when we had our little like kind of exchange was that it felt like that thing where they say, well, women need to learn self-defense so they don't get raped. And it's like, right. that's not like, that's not the actual solution. The solution is teach boys to do better or like teach people to do better. So that's immediately when I read the tweet, that's what I thought. But then like seeing him explain himself more, I actually understood more what he meant. But the original tweet immediately set me off to be like, what? Like, <laughs> that's, not the, that's not the solution. Yeah. <laughs> I do have the tweet now. I should have had this up to begin with. Um, so the tweet says, I see some discussion on intergender wrestling matches again. In light of speaking out, I think these matches have to stop. I've heard from so many women who are uncomfortable doing these, but felt obligated to get booked because these matches were accepted norms. And that's it sounds the like he sounds like he's protecting, protecting the girls, you know, the young girls that are coming up through the business more than anything to me. That's the way I interpret it. Um, like you said, it's just on, I mean, especially right now during COVID and all eyes are on social media and we're all, you know, um, sensitive or whatever the culture is right now, the cancel culture and all that. Um, it really is on how you read it. Cause I didn't take it as something offensive at all. I just look at it. Maybe it's cause I know Lance. Right. Um, but I took it as him protecting the girls and looking out for their well-being. You're right. So, you, I mean, you, you, you've known Lance for a while. And, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Was he still involved with uh, training the women wrestlers backstage when you were starting WWE? Or was that a little before you? Um, in WWE? Yeah. He, no, he was active, I believe. And he was always just there to help us, you know. Right. Um, always so supportive and I know you know he has a great uh, success rate coming out of his wrestling school in terms of and there's so many great female wrestlers that have come out of his school and they all love him I mean they all do Taya, Tennille, um, Rachel Ellering I mean there's a lot of girls that have been trained and they all adore him. Yeah I mean I, I, I certainly I mean I, I'm speaking as a journalist here not as not, and a wrestling fan but not as a wrestler but I think he was definitely he was well-intentioned he was coming from the right place and I, I like i don't know lance personally but i've always enjoyed him a lot i think he's he um at least from his public persona and his, his tweets and his blogs and going back years i mean he's he seems to be a great guy and that's all i've ever heard about him no it, like no one dislikes him um and there's you know there's a reason for that and i mean i, I wish he'd be, be here to uh to maybe elaborate a little bit more on what he said but like you know, that, that's his prerogative. He certainly talked about it a lot on Twitter and he'll, he'll be, uh, talking about it on his, uh, as his podcast. Um, I mean, I want to ask the other people on this call who work the independence. I mean, they didn't really answer when you asked that cause we we're all talking, there's so many of us, but sure. do you guys ever feel pressured by anything, whether it's to say yes to any type of match or you know, or the intergender wrestling, or what are your thoughts on that? I'd like to hear what's going on currently. So, uh, I mean, to be, uh, go ahead. No, you can go. 
<laughs> I mean, to be honest, I don't, I don't mind um, intergender wrestling. Like, like what you say, Gail, not all the time, but you know, every little once in a while. Um, I mean, it, it just feels no different from when you're training in the ring with, with, with the boys, you know, when you're like that only girl at training and you're training in the ring with the boys, you know, I feel like to me, that's, that's intergender wrestling. So um, just because it's not in front of a crowd or on TV or anything like that, you know, I, I, you know, still feel the same to me, but um, I've never felt pressured. Um, you know, thank God I, I came up in a training area where I was taught different and um, I, you know, I was taught better of, you know, what to say yes to, what to say no to, you know, and um, I really can't say that, you know, I feel for some of the people that have actually had to feel pressure of doing something because, you know, they don't want to get heat, you know, and, you know, not have and get denied anything or opportunities would just pass them by and stuff like that. So um, to me, like I said, I, I, I love to prove myself um, with getting in the ring with the guys. Cause I feel like us women, we, we, we've done a lot. We've proved a lot over the years and, um, and just getting in the ring with the guys just proved 10 times more that we can do what they do even 10 times better, you know? Um, so that's just my opinion. I feel like intergender wrestling is like a really big thing for me because when I was younger, I grew up, I, I only related with women's wrestling. I just, there's obviously some guys I loved, but like it just never, it never clicked with me. It was always women's wrestling. But me being non-binary, I didn't know who I was as a child. I thought I was a boy. So I fought so hard because I wanted to wrestle girls and I wanted to be a women's wrestler. And then when I kind of put intergender wrestling together, when I entered wrestling at 17, I fought so hard to wrestle women and I was never, ever, ever allowed to. And uh, I wanted... I wanted to wrestle women so bad. I wanted to be women's champion. I wanted to do this and I wanted to do all that. And it was weird because I didn't know who I was. So I, in the sense of being non-binary, that thing. So I felt kind of like it was silencing women too, in a way, but also trying to be me. So then with that being understood, I never felt like I was pressured into doing anything that I didn't want to do. And I feel like people kind of walk on eggshells around me anyway because because of how fragile everything is right now, which I never feel like you need to, but I, on my behalf, like I, I've read it as it was very protective, but also at the same time, it, it was such a definite that it kind of had me like, I've been fighting forever to be able to do this. Cause kind of every match I have, whether it's a guy or a girl is intergender. So it was like, Oh, uh, uh, that's weird. I've never thought of it in this situation, to be honest, that's really opened my eyes to another, um, way of thinking because I am a little bit more old school in the sense of I think wrestling has changed a lot obviously from when I started so um, it's gotten a lot more fast-paced it's gotten a lot more athletic and so I'm all for realism I was always about wanting because everyone most people know it's a work and so I always wanted to wait a minute what <laughs> sorry guys i i always just wanted people to believe you know and forget about that part and um it was the biggest compliment when people would be like oh my god you and jackie moore really hate each other me and awesome gone like people 
you guys really hate each other. That's a huge compliment to me because they get so invested in the storyline and everything. And that's what creates memories to me. I believe I'd rather have, and not to say this generation cannot not have, you know, memorable matches, but the storytelling and all that, that's what I remember from the past. And the ones that the, when fans come to me and at signings or whatever it is, they're like, Oh my God, awesome Kong, blah, blah, blah. Or Taryn, you know, those were all six month long storylines that they got invested into and the matches were all about storytelling and had, you know, the highlights. But um, a lot of the matches these days are so fast and, to me, not so realistic. Um, very athletic, obviously. But uh, And I know you got to move with the times, and I get that part. Uh, I would just love it to be a little bit more storytelling and just slowing things down a bit. I know you guys probably hate all that <laughs> because I know um, it's just very different. I, like I, you feel it's too smooth? Like you yeah. feel like it's too choreographed at times? Very choreographed. And I tr- truly believe in a lot of the matches where they're so athletic and I love still, I still can say that was an awesome match, but I won't remember it in five months, to be honest, or six months. I'll be like, I remember it was an awesome match, but I can't really remember exactly what happened. I just remember it was an awesome match, you know. I, um, I feel like we could have a whole yeah. Table just on yeah. But I do want to yeah. go to Trish, who was trying to uh, speak yeah. a couple times. So. So, yeah, so uh, for me, I think that women's um, women wrestlers growing up was very empowering to watch. So I grew up with five brothers. So I've never, I'm the only girl. And I've always been the only girl in, in most of the rooms I've been in, including in the wrestling world. So I never once felt like there was nothing I couldn't do. I was always right there. Um, you know, it just, it almost felt like just coming up this way, it sort of like makes sense because I joined the army and things like that. So by the time I turned 25 and was about to start wrestling, at that point, I'd already had my mind made up that I'm, you know, this is who I am. I'm a wrestler and I'm going to, you know, do my art the way I like it. And training at Team 3D and getting introduced to, you know, how it's going to be and learning how to protect yourself. And very early in my career, some of my first matches were with uh, John Cruz and Chuck was the clown people that I trained with and trusted. And I never once ever felt like I was at a place. Like I didn't belong. Like I wasn't supposed to be doing it. Nobody ever said like, you're not good enough. That, that, that language never, that, ne- that never happened to me. I, I don't, I don't even hear that. I blocked that out. So I myself am very empowered myself by, um, intergender wrestling. I always have been. So, I mean, it's come up a couple of times now. I mean, there, there is this point that most of the schools in the country are, I mean, there's certainly not a lot of all women's wrestling schools. Um, there's not too many at all. Um, and Nyla Rose actually mentioned this in her recent interview with a PWI to plug. Um, but she said that it seems silly to say that intergender wrestling shouldn't be a thing when that's how so many women's wrestlers learn in the first place. Like they came up that way. Uh, which I mean, that's, I mean, that's a whole other discussion, I guess. Um, and then there's the, the question of lack of opportunities, but actually I think this, this probably ties in pretty well 
Trish, to the, the so the title that you hold, the Pan Afri Pan African Diaspora Championship, um, is special because I mean there's really no other title like this, um, and it's not a gender specific title. Um, I mean, so I mean. Like, if you weren't able to compete for that, like what, like if it, or if there were just a separate women's title, would this have been as special for you if you won that championship and this was the Pan-African Diaspora Women's Championship? Like, versus you went, you went toe-to-toe -to -toe with everybody. Yes. Um, honestly, I don't really think of it as in if I wrestle a women wrestler versus when I wrestle a male wrestler. For me, I think of it as, Great, now I can wrestle the whole locker room. I'm not just limited to a couple people. I can learn from everybody now. You know, we can we can all lean in and just kind of do it like that. So I never really felt like I have to act a certain way, you know, either way. And especially, you know, I was the only uh, women wrestler on the card that night as well. So it was just important to to kind of lock eyes with those little girls in the crowd. The same way I could lock eyes with Jacqueline when she was wrestling Dean Malenko. And I thought that was so cool. I believed every second of that. I bought right in. I'm pretty sure we all did. You know what I mean? So I just, I, don't know, I see it that way. I see it as I'm going to live by example and do it that way. So, I mean, it seems like for the most part, the group is like at least supportive of intergender wrestling existing um, and then various degrees of enthusiasm around that. Anybody in the group who was a convert at some point, who like thought it was a bad idea or was kind of uneasy about it, either as a fan or as a wrestler when you were starting out and then came around? Or was everybody just always like, nah? Uh, I mean, my argument will always be I'd rather wrestle someone talented than someone shit. So like, I really don't <laughs> care. Like. I would rather wrestle a girl that I know won't hurt me. Um, like will remember the spots has good timing, good positioning. And she knows I'll be a good base for any of the like riskier stuff that she wants to try. I would rather wrestle a talented female than like a subpar male just because like, that's what people want to see. Like to me, I like even calling it intergender wrestling, I think is like, should be obsolete at this point where it's just like, it's just, a, it's just a match. If Spike Dudley can have a 20-minute match with Bam Bam Bigelow and people in the crowd think it's believable, then I should be able to wrestle a female half my size as long as we tell the proper story of size difference, strength difference, um, experience difference if we're getting that deep into like storytelling and stuff like that. And like, like I had um, in Chicago for freelance wrestling a six-month angle with Kylie Ray. It's a current impact talent. And... Uh, we've had three singles matches. All three of them went over 15 minutes. I don't think anyone in the crowd was like, this is unbelievable. I go out of my way to say no to stuff, like no shooting me off on an Irish whip. I go out of my way to not strike females because you never know who's in the audience, someone that's had to deal with like a domestic violence issue. So you'll never know because I'm not like, I'm but not punching her. But you're very rare though, but you're very rare. Okay, but this is my thing. I agree, but this is my thing, is saying it should all be gone is, I think that was the reason that it set everyone off, because there are going to be exceptions, like, 
even if to go back in time, China, like how do you, you could, you couldn't erase that from history. That is like iconic. She was as jacked as the guys. She looked as clean as the guys. She moved as clean as the guys. So it was like, I think there will always be exceptions to whatever rule anyone ever sets ever, ever, ever. So I think it's just, we should do everything with respect, whether it's guys versus guys, girls versus girls, guys versus girls, whoever versus whoever. We should all be treated with the same amount of respect and kind of had the same guidelines. But like you were saying before, like the fear based control in pro wrestling with like this weird hierarchy of people refusing to allow people to like grow or change or try new things that has to go like that has to go like 10 years ago. Like we have to be more open to, especially if people are going to do things the right way. I don't know. I could talk about this all day because I've been, (laughs) I've literally been told no my entire career. I've like, what like what the thing with Lance when he's saying like people are afraid to say no. I have no problem saying no to wrestling guys that I just don't think are good. I feel like girls should be able to say the same thing about doing intergender or even just wrestling a female they don't think is talented as well. It's not rude. We all own our bodies and we all have to keep ourselves safe, safe and professional. So we have to start taking more control over like what we're willing to let ourselves go through in professional wrestling. So, I mean, I guess the argument there would be, like, you're able to say no at this stage of your career. No, I've, I've said no forever, since day one. That's I will great. say, it's for yeah. sure taken me way longer to get where I am in my career than everyone else, but mm-hmm. I don't live in fear. So, like, it's a longer road, but if you, like, take pride in yourself and, mm-hmm. like, your work and just as a human being, at the end of the day, like no one can ever say like you put yourself in a position you didn't want to be in. So, I mean, but absolutely people should be able to say no to anything that makes them uncomfortable. But anyway, yeah. in life, it's never going to happen though. I'm sorry. Why not? Why not? not real. Because why not? I'll, I'll tell you right now, I can count 20 or more times that I've done stuff that I didn't want to do that. I yes. felt so uncomfortable with. I've been traumatized with, but I had to because I'd get fired. I disagree. I think you're one of the best female wrestlers of all time. Yeah, if, but I went if, through a lot of shit to get stronger. And I had, I was lucky enough to come to TNA and get some opportunities, improve myself, and uh, gain, gain some traction to be able to say no. But think about, like, I started at 23 and I, I, I found it so mentally hard for uh, until probably 30, if not more. Right. I just can't imagine people who are like, I just, there's a girl who reached out to me recently, an indie girl who is very young. She started when she was like 14. She's 18 now. And I just can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. Like I know Alicia Fox and Kelly Kelly started when they were 18 years old and got thrown into WWE. Like that is heavy. It's a lot you know, and I, I think I just know too many personal stories of my friends For sure. also as well as myself that, you know, people don't even know it's, it's way harder than you think. No, I trust me. I'm, and I'm not in your position, so I can't even pretend I know, but wouldn't you rather it the other way? Like, would you rather not like, 
for people to be able to say no and not like have fear of, course of I losing their job? I've wanted that since day one, but it's just not a realistic situation. It's, you know? It would have to be a full on culture change. That's, that's what's what I think you're getting at, Gail. Like, right. Yeah. Like, you, you know, that it's, it's not an overnight thing and it's never going to be an overnight thing. I think yeah. the speaking out stuff, people being more comfortable to, like talk about those training experiences or like, like we starting to empower people to be able to say no. Like when I first started, I was in a really good school that like, same with like what you were saying, Tasha is like, they really encouraged me to, to speak my mind and like say no. And I never felt pressured to do things I didn't want to do. There were times when they just wanted to put me against the girls. And I was like, Hey, I want to work the, I want to work with the guys, like put me in matches with the guys. And I never felt uncomfortable saying that to any of my trainers but it has to start there. It has to start with these, these girls being trained to say, Hey, this is what I want. This is what I'm comfortable with, but that's not happening everywhere. It just has to be a full on culture change. Um, and that just comes from culture in general, outside of wrestling. Women are taught to be polite. We're taught that we can't speak up or we're being rude. Like that's just how our society's worked for so long that it's, it would, it's going to take a really long time, but seeing, how like when you came up Gail to where we're at now is different and you have, you acknowledge that. So like, think about years from now, if we keep at the pace we're going, I I do hope that there is like some light at the end of the tunnel for that, like for people to be more comfortable, but also when you're starting so young, like I was 24 when I started, I already knew who I was a little bit more and I still struggled with it, but starting so young as a, as a woman, that you're already unsure of yourself. You're already been being told by society. You can't do certain things or like, you can't be a certain way. And even when you do something they say you should do, then they're like, no, not like that. It that's, that's that's the whole culture thing that it's like, that's going to be the hardest thing to change. And it's going to take a really long time, but we need people to support it. Yeah. And I think also um, this might be something maybe the girls can identify. I don't know, maybe everybody, but uh, now, like we're seeing a few women in office positions, you know, from AEW, WWE, us, Impact Wrestling. I don't know about ROH, but um, it might make it easier for females to be able to talk to other females. I, I, I don't know. I, I would hope so. Um, because I guess when, because wrestling has always kind of been a boys club, right? I mean, that's as far as predominantly men. And now just with the women's wrestling expanding and hopefully more people in higher positions that could possibly help, I would hope. Good. Yeah. I mean, that's all great points. Um, I kind of want to go back to something that Gail, you had mentioned earlier and on, and on Twitter, and, and Tasha mentioned it as well. Um, and Tasha, I'll direct us specifically to you. Um, the idea that uh, intergender matches should not, it, not should not be, but the idea of not doing them all the time. Is there some, do you think you prefer to wrestle other women, or do you, does it really not matter to you? I mean, um... I'm going to have to, I know Gail, you said this. Um, I mean, intergender matches are great. Like I, I love to get in a ring with the guys. Like I've trained with mostly guys. There was one time where it was just me, Deanna Perrazzo and Karen Q. We would train together then it mostly was guys. But um, there's nothing more like when you can create magic with another female. You know, it, it's just 
better that way. And just how you said, Gail, like you can have such great rivalries and have a, a, a great matches with, with females and just come out um, people talking about how great you were with this certain female, like with the guys, you know, I love to get in the ring with the guys, but like there's people out there that would judge you and say, Oh, he made you look good. And he made you this and he made you that because he's bigger and all that stuff like that. But you know, to me, I, 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 I would love to do both, but I also, it just shows more that if you as a female can just uplift another female and, and help another female out as far as in the ring, because you just, you, you never know. I mean, you know, this, another girl can come in and, and she's green. And if you can make her look like the best thing in the world, that can get you a, a job for life, you know? So, um, you know, I like intergender. I also like to create a lot of magic with females. I mean, there's very few females I created really great magic with. Um, so, you know, just when I saw like China and Jacqueline and Ivory and, and Trish and Lita, when they, when they got in the ring and had intergender matches, you know, that made me feel like, you know, Hey, if they're doing it, I, I want to do it. I mean, it's inspirational, but at the same time, it's like, there's nothing more than when you can really do something with another female. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, there's this, I don't want to say idea or belief. I mean, I think it's a reality that there's only also only so many spaces, especially in the independent scene for, you know, women's divisions and women's matches, unless it's a promotion that specializes in women's wrestling. Um, in a lot of cases, like there's a women's match on the show, right? And then that's it. So intergender matches have also kind of been a way in for wrestlers who maybe they're not as well connected. They're just starting out, um, which I guess is where the, the whole idea of, okay, I feel like I have to do this comes in. Um, but I think a lot of people, at least from my observation, uh, they want to get out there and do this and they just want to make their way however they can. So. Uh, can I ask Ethan a question actually? Uh oh. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. So oh, I know great. you're saying psychologically, you know, with psychology, you do it properly, which is amazing because not many people do. Um, do you find that, say, when you're in the ring with Tessa um, on a regular basis, that you were more cognizant of the physicality? Like me towards her? Like, yeah, like would you oh, yeah. hit her like you would hit the guys? Uh, so I don't hit anyone. I'm not trying okay. to like <laughs> be like a little mark or nothing, but like, no, okay. I go out of my way to not hit anybody. So like right. I, I worked, like I work all the girls the same as I work the guys. Like I stop my foot at their face. I stop my hand at their face as best as I can. Um, I having a wife, no, not to chop females. <laughs> so I, I'm like, very conscious of that and uh yeah like to me i know not to do a power bomb and throw a 110 pound person to the mat as hard as i can but like like i said if it was a male or female to me it's like it's all physics like it's just another person okay well you're a rarity then because i know what you're saying gail because there's there's some guys that i've worked that will treat me the exact same way as i see them treat guys yeah. And then there's some that it's like, it's like, they don't even want to like touch me. 
because they think they're going to hurt me. And so I I totally understand what you're saying. Like that's, and that's another like thing that I liked about my school. They would like literally get mad at people if they didn't hit me the same way as they would hit the the male trainees. I think I I only bring that up because one time uh, when I was a manager for America's most wanted, I'd always have one spot in the match and um, I could do like, the high flying stuff and all that stuff. But I remember one time and I was good friends with Christian and his wife, Christian cage and his wife and he power, I jumped off like a hurricane and he power bombed me and like crushed my soul. Okay. (laughs) And I remember his wife and I didn't complain about it. It was one spot. Um, and his wife was like, Oh my God, Jay, why or Christian? Why did (laughs) Jay, (laughs) why did you power bomb her so hard? And like, even with his interactions with Trish and WWF back in the day, he was very aggressive. And he said, well, if the girls want to be in the ring with us, then they got to be able to take it physically. And to be honest, I mean, I'm just thinking now being out of the business and how my body feels now, I don't think I could take that full time. I mean, if we're all in, I don't know who's on board of full time and that's a whole other discussion, but, um, that's where I'm like, is it worth it to how do it all the time if they're going to be as aggressive and shorten your career length. No, I don't worry to having it full time. I rather have that one intergender match every once in a while that means something versus of having it all the time. Cause at this point it's like, yeah, how much more are you going to put your body through? Because there are guys out there that will do the same thing and hit you the same way as they do like 200, 300 pound men. And it's just, you know, you're, you're thinking about your career. You're thinking about your bump card and you're thinking about all that at the same time. So yeah, I, I don't, I wouldn't agree of doing it all the time. We are kind of looking at this and from a really biological perspective here, which is, which is valid, but it's also true for a much larger wrestler of any gender and a much smaller wrestler of any gender. It, it doesn't have to be um, in the context of an intergender match. It could just it could be a very small wrestler against a very large wrestler. Um, but also, I mean, <clears throat> as Jamie mentioned earlier with, you know, non-binary wrestlers, there's not, if there's no intergender matches, I mean, like where, where is the space for non-binary wrestlers? I mean, th- so this is, we're looking at this as like, you know, men should be over here. They're big and strong. They might hurt women by accident. And then women should wrestle other women. And then if, I mean, and not that anybody here is suggesting hard and fast, there should be no intergender wrestling, but I mean, uh, Jimmy, I think you should specifically address this because I'm rambling about it, but like this affects you personally. So, I mean, when you see these arguments, do you like, is this dehumanizing at all to you? Like, is it not that deep or is it, I mean, it's got to hurt at some level, right? So I don't, I'm not one of those. Uh, there's some people in the community that'll take anything anybody says and be offended outright. You can say like one little thing and people will have like a conniption and blow up and oh my God, I will, I take it with a grain of salt because at the end of the day, I'm still a wrestler. And if I, if I have to wrestle a man, I'll wrestle a man. If I have to wrestle a woman, I'll wrestle a woman. But I don't want to be held to one specific division because I don't feel like I'm one specific gender. I feel like a cloud of dust with eyes. And I feel like it's like, I fought so hard. Like, I remember specifically, I was working a lot with Luffy when I was a kid, Lufesto, and she she did not want intergender wrestling at Rogue at all. And I fought all the time because I literally, 
I don't feel like Jamie if I can't wrestle both because I am both. I don't have a, I don't have a she, I don't have a him, I have a they because I literally am the best of both combined into one. So like if I wrestle Ethan, I'm her, but if I wrestle Trish, I'm I'm him. And it's such a weird, it's a weird thing. And I think when there's a lot of closed-minded people, they're always just gonna see it as intergender wrestling. But I think for the bunch of us that are trying to move forward, and when you do properly explain it, people see it for what it is, and they do understand that. Like, I feel like for non-binary people, there is no reason why we shouldn't be able to uh, wrestle the best of the best with both, you know? And I feel like people pigeonhole us at what we are for a gimmick. And I think that's not cool, because, and back to earlier, you had asked if I found any, if we found any intergender wrestling cringy and, like, I think it was very cringy back in the day. They would bring in girls and have them wrestle men that are like on TV that are like the same size. And the girls would be like shaking in their boots and terrified and then like take a finish and be out in like two minutes. I feel like I'm kind of in that same position right now where people kind of just don't want to see us. They want to see us be a gimmick or they want to see us be lesser than. I almost feel like we, the LGBTQ wrestlers, are where women were 10, 15 years ago. And that's a constant battle. And it's really hard because a lot of people don't see it as progressive as I'd like to think most of us do. Yeah, I also saw um, some stuff about like, you know, when there's trans wrestlers and then people are so hateful and like, like someone like Candy, they're calling her a man. And it's like, no, that's not what it is. And yeah. so I, saw, I saw a lot of that or like, um, I know she was upset about like people equating the intergender wrestling too. Like I have a vagina. I shouldn't have to do this. And it's like, that's not necessarily, uh, wasn't part of the conversation either the biological stuff like we were talking about. Um, but I'm not sure I don't have enough like knowledge on that or like obviously experience on that to like speak on it. But I know that that was also, um, a little bit of an issue with it as well. Yeah. Can I, I, sorry, Jamie, I didn't mean to. No, it's okay. Can I, can I add on yours as like a business side? So like I run my own wrestling promotion, but I also book uh, an independent in Chicago. So like I've had to, to take like the performance side, but also like the creative and the business side. So I like to make money. I, I I enjoy making money off of professional wrestling. I have been put in positions where female talent on my, in my promotion is the most over talent, Mm -hmm. best talent in the ring as well and getting the best reactions. So, like, if I followed whatever guidelines or rules were laid for me from the generations past, there's no way they would be my main event and there's no way they would wrestle guys and there's no way they'd be my champion. But I started my promotion in 2010 and a couple of years in, our main championship is called the Alpha Male title. I just thought it was a cool name. It's not a world title. It doesn't travel. You want to be the Alpha Male of the jungle, you're the champion. That's the number one thing. I think two or three females have held that title. To me, it was not about genders. It was just, this is the best talent on my show and it's making me the most money. So like, I didn't care. Ruby Riot, Heidi Lovelace was the best wrestler to wrestle for Alpha One Wrestling for whatever year it was, 2017 or whatever. So to me, it was just, it made smart business. And Kylie Ray defending the belt against the top heels, it was not, Kylie Ray defending the freelance title against a man. It was Kylie Ray, number one babyface in Chicago, defending her title against 
number one heel in Chicago, whoever it, it is that month. So like, I, it makes money. It, it, it's the it's the over acts interacting with other over acts to draw. I, For I sure, like, yeah. I, uh, to me, I don't look at it as like if like if me and you, like you said earlier, had a match, and it was Jamie versus Ethan. That's the billing. It's right, not right. Who it's not him versus her. It's no, it's all ego eat the page. People know who I am. They see me. They know what they're going to get versus Jamie. They know what they see. They know what they're going to get. And then those two characters interacting. I think that is professional wrestling because if this was real, we would all be fighting backstage and <laughs> actually having real fights. <laughs> like winning matches would matter. But that's not it. It's how long, how much TV time do I have? How much promo time do I have? You can't wear red gear. I'm wearing red gear. It's <laughs> yeah. like, no one is actually tough. So any of these guys that are like, I would never wrestle a girl. They could never beat me up. You couldn't beat up the guy you're wrestling the next night either. <laughs> or else you would be in UFC. <laughs> so like to me, like that, that all has to go. Or fight me backstage. I do no. like I've totally opened up my mind though. I do agree with the talent versus talent, uh what you're saying. Yeah. In terms of the male or female. But I still am old school as long as they do it psychology with the right. psychology is right. Yeah, that, that, like uh, that I am on that side too. Like yeah. I, I'm not trying to abolish the things that worked. Like Ethan yeah. Page is not reinventing the wheel. Literally everything I've ever done in professional wrestling has followed the like guidelines of someone that has done something successful and I've just tweaked it just a little bit. So right. I'm not trying to like tell people we've been doing wrestling wrong. I'm just saying you can't say no to everything. We have to be able to understand that certain people are exceptional talents and should be allowed to do whatever the F they want because they're but really good at their you, jobs. I bet you Lance, if he, if it was someone that he knew would be comfortable to say no, if they're uncomfortable and the storyline was right, I, I yeah. don't think that he would feel like, no, I, I think he would change. I think he would be open-minded too. Yeah. And I don't even think that. he was saying intergender wrestling is brutal. I was just, yeah. he was like, you're saying, it was just the fact that he said it should all be gone. It's almost like a little fast Band-Aid to fix the problem so we can move on to the next thing. But I think the deeper rooted issue is what uh, Heather was saying about the culture having to change. And that is the actual problem, not that females and males are sharing a ring together. That just reminded me, too, of there was a lot of talk of like um, of men getting a lot of uh, flack for saying no to intergender wrestling because they're not comfortable with it. And that's another thing that I think we should be okay with people saying no to. If yeah. they aren't comfortable doing it, as long as they're approaching it, like not in like the way you were saying, Ethan, where it's like a girl would never beat me up. Blah, blah, blah. As long as they're like, Hey, I'm just not comfortable doing that. I respect you as a talent, but it's just not something I'm comfortable with. I think we should be okay with dudes saying no to intergender wrestling the same way that women can, should be able to say no to things. I mean, I said no to a kiss spot with Dino in Japan uh, during a match called the Gay Wrestling Summit. And yeah. I had to explain to them that I'm married and my wife doesn't care that it's a man. <laughs> so like, I'm, try I'm trying to get that translated from Japanese to English and back and forth. 
Yeah. But anyways, I, that, that actually was probably the only time in my career I ever felt pressured to do something I didn't want to. And then I was <laughs> yeah. just like, no, I'm going to be slapped for sure when that plane lands when I get home. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to be mindful of everyone's time here. Um, you know, everyone has things to do. Um, but does anyone have anything to add here that something that you really wanted to address that we have not gotten to, but you think is important? Yeah. People shouldn't cancel people for having an opinion. This is not yeah. like us hunting Lance yeah. Storm. No, Lance is, Storm, yeah, it's a discussion. I think people should be more open to discussions, especially in a public forum. And saying that is all like straightforward as it is just putting in your tweet, not trying to start an issue. I would love to talk about it. It's yeah. not, not condescending. <laughs> it's just you being like, you're opening your social media, your platform. It's just an open forum. I think being more open to actually talking with people is good. And this was at least for me personally, not an attack on Lance. I just wanted to voice my opinion with other like-minded people. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Trish, you were about to say something. Yes. Uh, leaning on to what Heather mentioned about having male competitors say, Hey, I'm not comfortable. There have been about two or three times where, you know, where you just kind of have to go, Hey, you know, try to feel it out and put them at ease somewhat, maybe a little bit more so than I would have if it was just you and me, Heather, you know, mm -hmm. um, there's just a certain ease. Sometimes you have to, uh, put people in as well. So that's something to consider too. If people aren't willing to now it's like, now you, it's a give and take now. And that's where psychology comes in. So, I mean, I guess, of course, I, I'm not going to whip you. Um, I, you should not be hitting me. Absolutely. I will not be picking you up and slamming you down. You know what I mean? And when it happens, it's supposed to be for that special moment that we worked all the way up to from the minute my music hit, you know? So it's all about considering, obviously, the psychology of it and making sure it makes sense and also putting, you know, your opponent at ease as well. Because, you know. Yeah, and I think with, with my experience with intergender wrestling, it's the same as when I wrestle bigger women, like it's going to be different depending on the person, how they want to present. If they don't even, if they don't care and they're like fine with me doing whatever, great. If they need that build and the psychology and all that, which I, I'm saying with you, Gail, love storytelling. That's my jam. I think we need a lot more of that in wrestling now, but like there's some people that care a lot more about it and some people that are fine. And it also depends on the promotion. It's like, there's so many like weird little gray areas that go into it too, but there's some people that don't want me to bump them. And I'm like, okay, like, we'll, we'll, we'll work how we can then. And yeah, I think you're right. It's like, it's about like talking and ease, putting them at ease and like kind of figuring out why they're not comfortable with it. And like maybe what we can do to make everybody more comfortable with each other. Anyone else have anything? Please go ahead. And if I could uh, bounce right back to you, though, um, one of the conversations that I was having was someone expressing that, hey, my daughter's in the audience. And I go, well, if I mean, he himself said that she understands what's going on. She's old enough to process that, you know, daddy's acting, so to speak. Um, and when it came time to, like, actually get involved and, like, do all the things, you would, you would look in the crowd and she would be excited, even though I would be beating up her dad. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's her dad. She loves him. She's supposed to be mad at me. And, you know, it's just kind of based on the psychology. It's just working together and making sure that it makes sense and make sure you take care of those things where you put them at ease. So now that their family, their whole family is there and now it's, you know, one of those kinds of things. Yeah. 
I've literally been in that situation before and she bought my shirt afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They love it. They eat it up. It's, it's yeah. really about them seeing, you know, themselves in the ring, conquering the bad guy. And we're taking the fact that it's a father out of it. You know what I mean? Exactly. And being able to, to, to hook and, and suspend people is important. Very cool. All right. Well, I want to thank you all for coming on here. I mean, we've done these roundtables before with PWI writers. None of us are wrestlers. We don't know what we're talking about when it comes to this particular issue. We could comment on it, but you know, I really appreciate you all coming on here to share your your insight and wisdom uh, with everybody watching. Uh, Gail, thanks for basically being the uh, moderator <laughs> and <laughs> facilitator of this because I was failing miserably at it, but you kept things moving along. I just have too many opinions on everything. <laughs> Good, well, you have to and, come oh, back every and time. by the and way, <laughs> watch Impact Wrestling Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock p.m. Yes. on Twitch and Access TV. Yeah. There's three of our talent. I'm oh, sorry, not three. Well, I'm a former, but three of us here. Oh, come on. People it still pop like when you're on the screen. There's three more here you guys could use. <laughs> yes, yes, I believe. <laughs> I'll just accidentally confirm that she's coming back to the ring. That's okay. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> not happening. Ironically, for an intergender match. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs>